Welcome back to Half the Battle. I'm your host, as always, Daniel Levy, your guest co-host, Billy Briz. Today, we're going to be talking UFC Vegas 56, Alexander Volkov versus Jairzinho Rosenstruck. And Billy, it's going down this Saturday night live at the Apex in Las Vegas, Nevada. Two heavyweights trying to get back in the win column and trying to say that, hey, I got one title run left in me. You got the long Volkov taking on the one hitter quitter of Jairzinho Rosenstruck. I have a feeling this one ain't going five rounds. Yeah, man, I have the same feelings, man. We didn't have UFC last week. It feels like uh, you when you don't have that UFC in between weeks and then you come back, you want to, you know, just take it nice and slow. But there's a couple of lines on this card that I'm really looking at that really caught my eye. Uh, we'll get into it on the main card, man. Uh, there's a lot of theatrics this week, man. Uh, there absolutely are. There's been records that have been changed multiple times. There's uh, lots of things to say, but I mean, dude, without further ado, speaking of the main card, let's get right down to business with this main event because in the main event, we got the number seven ranked Alexander Volkov. He's 34 and 10, taking on the number eight ranked Jairzinho Rosenstruck, who's 12 and three. And currently they got it. Depends where you look, but Jersey, uh, Alexander Volkov minus 160. The comeback on Jairzinho Rosenstruck is plus 140. So uh, there's a lot to talk about with this matchup. Obviously, there is a size difference. I mean, you look at a guy like Alexander Volkov, six foot seven, currently is the tallest man in the heavyweight division. Now that my boy Stefan Struve has uh, retired, I, I don't believe. And, and Travis Brown is also retired. So I, I think that Alexander Volkov is the tallest man, not just in the heavyweight division, Billy, but in the UFC. And you're taking on a guy in Jairzinho Rosenstruck, who, interestingly enough, he, I think once he was listed at 6'4", then he was listed at 6'2". I'm still waiting for them to get it right and list him at 5'11". But bottom line, man, when this guy closes the distance, uh, bodies do tend to hit the floor. I mean, he's got a 100% knockout rate in the UFC, and he's got a 90-something knockout rate in terms of his wins in general because the only win, the only time he's ever won that hasn't been a knockout was a decision win on his regional scene against Kovalev, actually, of all people. Uh, not, not the boxer Kovalev guys. Uh, some 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 dude on his regional team named Kovalev. Uh, but yeah, this this should be a great matchup. I mean, what are your initial overall impressions of how this one uh, is going to go down? Man, this one was a little bit weird because I didn't really agree with the line too much. Minus one sixty for Alexander Volkov doesn't feel like the warm and fuzzies route that I want to take. But there's actually something that really caught my eye, Dan. FanDuel's slipping out there, and this is exactly how I think this fight's going to play out. Jair's, uh Rosenstruck by knockout, and then Alexander to win by decision. Minus 155 in the uh, UFC special parlay section. I feel like that's the way to attack this fight. I know you said you don't think this is going to go five. That means Rosenstruck's going to get a knockout, but I think Volkov is going to have similar problems like he did against Derek Lewis. I feel like those are two similar type of prototype UFC fighters, big heavy hitters, close the distance, get in there, Rosenstruck, cash his ticket. Um, his knockout props at plus 210, that definitely caught my eye. I don't really want to bet Volkov in this spot here, but this is not a main event that I really want to put a lot of money on. We got 10 straight weeks of UFC. You don't need to go all for it just because you see plus money on the underdog by knockout. Yeah, I mean, you don't got to go crazy, but at the same time, if you feel like he's got a good chance, you can always take a one-unit shot. It's all about money management. It's all about discipline. But listen, there, there's a lot of things to talk about uh, matchup-wise. You know, for example, Alexander Volkov, 
being as long as he is, there's advantages and there's disadvantages. We're in the small cage here, which actually, in my opinion, favors Jerzinho because he's going to have less room to cover to to, uh, close that distance with those aforementioned big bombs. Also, one thing I've always liked about Rosenstruck is his kick returns, man. I mean, you you throw a combo at him, and he's coming right back at you with a nice kick return. Those kick yeah, counters. Gus, the guy I, I, learned his lesson. You said you said what what what? The what guy happened? learned his lesson about that shit. Oh yeah, Sakai did learn. Uh, all of uh, Jerzino's victims inside the UFC's octagon have learned their lesson about that man. And I mean, with Volkov, I mean the key to beating a much taller man. It, well, there's two ways you can take him down and neutralize him, which we know that Jerzino Rosenstruck's not going to do. So the other way is you chop down the tree, eventually get him to lower his hands. And when it's time to go upstairs, that's uh, when you close the show. So for Volkov, I mean, he's got to keep this on the outside. He's got to not let Jerzino close that distance. He's got to pop him with the jabs. He's got to use those long man moves, uh, the teep kicks, e- even. I like one combo that he does where he goes leg kick to body kick and just kind of rack up the volume, kind of win the minutes and not let not let Jerzinho have those big moments uh, throughout the fight. Do you think that the switch to American top team is going to help versus Struck here in this fight? Because, uh, you know, my boy Boston Nick said uh, he's been down there training, moved to Miami. Uh, he's trying to change his lifestyle. I don't know if I'm really buying it, but I'm going to have to buy it a little bit this week. Are you uh, in agreement? <laughs> I mean, it's not that I'm not in agreement. I mean, to me, I, I don't really care where he trained. To me, it's more just about what's actually going to happen in this fight and the approach and, you know, how is he going to execute these tactics that need to happen to defeat a much taller opponent? You know, he could be training in his garage. He could be training out kings mma he could be training down in uh suriname like for all i care what what really matters here is are we going to chop down these leg kicks are we going to chop him down with leg kicks and are we going to close the distance and catch him and one thing i got to say about volkov and this might be speculation this might be narrative but i truly think that the cyril gun fight for volkov i felt like that was his super bowl that was a title eliminator that was his chance Whoever wins that fight gets the next title shot. And I just haven't seen the same Volkov since. People like to talk about this recency bias because of the Aspinall fight. but I, and, and I did bet Aspinall there at Dog Money, by the way. But, I mean, to me, I, I noticed it in the Tybura fight. In that Tybura fight, I was like, yo, like, Alex, like, what, what's going on? Like, was it an off night? Was it a sign of a decline? And I think that the very next fight uh, against... Tom Aspinall let us know that, you know what, maybe it was a bit of a sign of a decline. I get it. Volkov's still a young guy, especially for heavyweight standards, because a lot of these times with the heavyweights, they actually don't hit their peak until their late 30s or even sometimes their 40s. I've seen guys go out there and do amazing things. I mean, I know you remember back in the day when my boy Randy Couture won that belt. What was he like, 45, 46? You know what I'm saying? That was like one of the first UFC fighters I ever watched. Exactly. And but times have changed. And the thing about Volkov is that he's not a guy who's only had 15 to 20 fights. I mean, we're, we're dealing with a guy who this is about to be his 45th professional fight th- that we know of. Right. Because as, as we've been talking about today with these topology records and shout out to topology, a lot a lot of like fights are off record. So all that we know about is that officially it's going to be his 45th pro fight. But, you know, being that my boy's from Russia, I, I know he's had I know he's had a couple scraps here and there uh, that aren't on the record. But what I'm trying to get at is that 
I haven't seen that same hungry Volkov that we know and love. You know, we were joking around at times talking about, oh, this 265-pound Volkov is this mythical creature. He's sitting down on his punches now. And actually, that last fight, he didn't weigh in at 265. Let me actually double-check what he did weigh in at. Um, he actually tried to lose a little bit of weight, which in which in theory seemed like a smart idea because Tom Aspinall is a mobile guy for heavyweight. So actually Volkov came in weighing at weighing in at 253 uh, for the Tybura fight. He was actually at 265. So 265 Volkov was the guy that we were like, hey, man, maybe he finally maybe this is the guy that can make a title run. But now he's dropping weight and I just don't see the same hunger. I just don't see even the same durability that I once saw. And again, it's not recency bias just because Aspinall, who I think is an animal, went out there and and, and finished him in the first round. That Tybura fight was where the drop off happened. I yeah, really especially think that, at minus three hundred, bro. Uh, minus three hundred where? Oh, in the Tybura fight. When he oh was yeah, exactly. Tybura, was minus three hundred, big parlay piece that week. Yeah, he did not cover that that tag at all. It's just that Cyril Gan fight was so demoralizing because, I mean, that was your opportunity to get your title shot. You didn't reach your goal. Every fighter's goal is to be a world champion. And after that, it, it was kind of like, man, like, shit, like, do I have it anymore? So I kind of see these last two performances as lackluster, as unmotivated. And with Jairzinho, he's had his ups and downs, too. But I never saw a guy who lost focus. I never saw a guy who, you know, lost his will, lost his confidence. I see I see a guy, when I hear him talk, he's talking about how he still wants to improve on all areas of the game. He still, he still has aspirations to be a UFC world champion. And mentality is huge in the sport, Billy. Yeah, I definitely agree with that, man. I definitely agree with the assessment. I feel like Volkov, man. At the end of the day, man, if you're going to the betting window and betting that minus 160, I just don't see what are you going to do? Parlay? You're going to bet it straight? I think there's better lines on the cards. Yeah. So for me, um, I actually think, look, I know that Jerzyno Rosenstruck is a low volume guy, and I know that Volkov is most likely going to win the minutes per se. But I think that Jerzino has a way of kind of slowing down these fights and making people hesitant to throw volume on him. I mean, unless we're talking about Cyril Gan, who is a phenom and that doesn't who, count. Who, who moves differently than most heavyweights, right? But the, the reason why I think the volume that people are expecting from Volkov might not quite be here in this Jerzino Rosenstruck fight is because Jerzino is a very solid counterfighter. You start to let something go against a guy like him, and like I, we talked about the kick returns. Well, what about what about those hands, man? What about that leaping left hook? What about the way he goes inside leg kick, and then he sets you up with something big up top? And against a taller man, yeah, they do have advantages. I mean, the length, the reach, all that, but they also have disadvantages. That tall man defense, that chin straight up in the air. You start backing up against the guy like Rosenstruck, and it might be bad news. So actually. I'm going with the underdog here. I'm not sitting here saying it's max bet season. I'm not sitting here saying to make a big bet, but you know, plus 140, plus 145 odds. I might take a one unit shot uh, against Volkov, who I do think has has seen better days, is not performing at the level that he was a few years ago. And again, it's not recency bias because the Aspinall fight, where I did bet Aspinall, I noticed this in the Tybura fight. That Tybura fight was a big drop off. The subsequent fight against Aspinall added insult to injury. And I think Saturday night in Las Vegas, Nevada, live at the Apex, I think Jerzyn Hirosenstruck is going to knock out Alexander Volkov. 
I think you even chase it, man. 11 out of 12 wins in his career have been by knockout. I think you go for the knockout prop. I feel like a lot of his win condition relies heavily on the knockout prop. If this hits the scorecards, I don't know if Biggie Boy is going to get it, get the gentleman's rub. So some people in the comments, I like to address the comments. First, firstly, thank you all for being here. Smash that like button for me. Hit the subscribe button. So some dude said, not every fighter's goal is to be champ. Come on, bro. Oh, really? So you're telling me like when they first started fighting, they didn't want to be the world champ. And then someone else said, Lewis doesn't want to be champ. Yeah, now Lewis doesn't want to be champ. But when he got his title shot, trust me when I tell you, Lewis wanted to bring that belt back to Texas. You, you mean to tell me that Lewis woke up every day thinking, no, nah, I don't want to be the heavyweight champ. I want to go out there and lose and let everybody down. You're telling me that that's what he's saying? Maybe now after a couple losses, he realizes that, you know what, it's not going to work out, so let's keep stacking up these paychecks. But once he made it to that number one contender spot where he did, I mean, he beat Ngannou, he beat Volkov, he made it to that title shot. You mean to tell me he didn't want to win that UFC belt when he got his opportunity? I call bullshit, my man. So I disagree with you 100% on that comment. But that being said, my point here is that I think Jerzino still has title aspirations with Volkov. It's not that, look, I know Volkov would love to be champ. I know he puts his head on his pillow and probably dreams about holding that belt. It's just reality's got to set in at some point. These last three performances have kind of shown that, you know, maybe you're not quite there. Whereas I think Jerzino still has a little bit more hope. But tactically speaking, you got to close that distance. You got to plant one on this guy's chin. You got to chop him down with leg kicks. And, is Volkov going to throw, you know, a wild card here? Is Volkov going to try to mix in a takedown or two, which he's not really known for, Billy? Yeah, no, nah, this is going to be a striking fight. This is going to be a striking fight on the feet for 15 minutes. And at that, I mean, not for 15 minutes, 25 minutes. And at that case, I'm going to take the shot on the underdog here. I don't think you bet the money line, though. I keep, I would say you want to attack this on the prop market, like I said in the beginning of the breakdown, on FanDuel, Rosenstruck, Knockout, or Volkov decision minus 155 that is the best bet in this fight so anything else we got to say about this uh main event i think we covered it pretty decently yeah no it was a good main event uh coverage i like the way you broke that down if we if i think of anything else we'll come back to it same with you let me know now co-main event in the featherweight division we got dan 50k ige he's 15 and 5 taking on movsar evloyev who is 15 and 0 Currently, they got it. Movsar Evloyev, depends where you look, minus 400. The comeback on Dan Ige also depends where you look, plus 330, plus 325. It just depends. Um, so a lot of people are saying, and the big debate here is, is the line wide or not? Um, what do you think? What's your, what's your take on that? Is the line wide? Is it justified? What, 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 is this dog or pass? Is it just pass? Or is there value on a guy like Evloyev who – myself called him little Khabib back when he was on the regional scene i think this is uh the way this card set up there's a bunch of big favorites so you're gonna have to parlay a little bit to make a little bit of cash so when you look at the evil of line at first you're like ah minus 350 and then you start seeing it rise up to minus 400 is dan k 50k ege really that guy to really stop the hype train of evil of i don't think so i'm not buying into this training with justin gagey shit but I will say that 550 by decision prop would be the way to bet it because Ivalov 
you know, most of his fights go to decision. Uh, he's the good parlay piece because he's been in some tough situations before in his UFC career. Uh, Mike Grundy had him in a couple of submissions. He's gotten out of it. So it feels like he's gotten through that little hump of, uh, you know, when you bet a big favorite, you kind of get sketched out when you've seen all of their highlights have just been dominant performances. But the Mike Grundy fight, the Nick Lentz fight, the the Hakeem Dewadu fight, that all just solidified that Evilov is the guy. Is he going to get the finish on this one? I hope not. I mean, and also the bookies don't think so either. At minus 175 for a decision prop, man, that that's damn near a money line for some of these uh, fights on this card. But I will be parlaying Evilov this weekend. It's not going to give me the warm and fuzzies, but, uh, you know, you can do what you got to do on these type of cards, man. You got three to four different favorites that are basically minus 400 or more. So you just got to do what you got to do, parlay it up. Um, I wouldn't really want to attack this from a prop market because let's say if Ige isn't durable enough and he does get finished and we do see Eva Love. I mean, he's almost gotten a lot of finishes before, but a lot of the people that he's fought in his career are just low volume fighters. Ige is going to bring him the action. This could be the fight that could really uh, set off Eva Love's career. I think he's ready for it. I mean, it just depends if you see value at that price. That's the bottom line, you know, because, for example, there's a minus 600 to start off the card and it's just about is there value on the line or not? I mean, people associate value only with underdogs. To me, I associate value with value. Like, for example, if I see a minus 150 that I think should be a minus 300, well, that's value. But here it's just, you know, minus 400. We're talking about steep lines. We're talking about MMA. We're talking about, you know, the Rackage fight. You know, he dominates Jan in round two, lays on top of him the entire round, blows his knee out in round three. So, you know, you got to just be accepting of the fact that things like that can happen. But to circle back to your point about, you know, the Grundy fight, which I'm glad you brought up because this ain't something we can't we can't just gloss over the fact that, oh, he, he, he escaped a submission attempt, you know, give him a pat on the back. Like, dude, that was a lock, that was a locked in Dars choke that like you have to not only have incredible technique, but you have to have incredible heart resolve and to not just do something like that in the practice room, but to do something like that under the bright lights with all the pressure when the lights are starting to go dim and you're about to be choked unconscious. And it's a matter of making a split this a split uh, second decision to escape that. He created the littlest of space just to escape that choke. And that those are the signs that you see of a future world champion or at least a future top five guy. Like those are the kind of things that guys like that will do. And that just impressed me so much. And especially for me, you know, not trying to, I, you know, I ain't no pro fighter, but, you know, I do, uh, I am a jujitsu practitioner. Just got my purple belt last week. Uh, shout congrats, out to congrats. my professor. Thank you. I competed. Uh, for you all that didn't check out my last episode about the competition. So I won my first match 14 nothing, and it was up three weight classes at light heavyweight. And then my, my gold medal match, it ended up being 0 0. I was on top of the guy, but he had a cross-collar choke attempt. So the ref had to make a decision. They raised his hand. It's all good. It taught me a lesson. You got to make things more decisive. But after that, it was like, you know what? Like, um, I got my purple belt two days later. So my, my professor was very proud of my performance. But the reason I'm bringing that up is because, like, I can only imagine being locked in on a tight Dars choke where it's like, it's a you got to make a split uh second decision there like you go one wrong way you're getting choked unconscious like and, and you look back at like a fight between we're going to talk about that chick kareen silva you look at her fight on contender series when she got that girl with the guillotine and like 
while the guillotine was locked in, her opponent wasn't even fighting the hands. Her opponent was already reaching her hand out, getting ready to tap two seconds later. Like that's some shit you'll never see Movsar Evloyev do. Movsar Evloyev was so poised, he was so focused in that little moment he had to escape that choke from Grundy. And once he did that, he went on to dominate the fight and show what you know a potential future champion can do. And Dan Ige, I mean, what can I say, man? The guy is Hawaiian, which usually Hawaiians are associated with serious toughness and durability. They hit extremely hard. And I think Dan Ige has those qualities as well, man. I mean, the guy is tough as nails. I've seen the guy go out there with one eye completely closed, and he and he'll still try to win the fight. So Dan Ige has got all my respect, man. Swings big bombs, isn't half bad on the ground. I've even seen him go out there and gas out in fights, and then go out there and win the very next round. So like Dan Ige is as tough as they come. I just kind of view Dan Ige as you know a, a solid borderline top fifteen guy, whereas I see Mosar Evloev having that top five potential, having potential challenging for a title one day down the line and one thing that i've been talking about for a long time is these guys that can relentlessly shoot takedown after takedown after takedown without getting discouraged because you see some guys like um you look at that fight between we're going to talk about uh actually we're not going to talk about william knight we're going to talk about people that fought william knight but William Knight versus Cody Brundage on the Contender Series. So Cody Brundage, he got the first takedown, but when the second one didn't work, he was yeah. discouraged. He was ready to go home. You stuff Mosar of Loyev's first, second, third, fourth, fifth takedowns, you don't give a fuck. He's still going to keep shooting and shooting and shooting. And that's the kind of stuff that discourages your opponent. So you look at a guy like Bryce Mitchell. He can do the exact same thing. You look on a higher level at a guy like Islam Makachev or even the great Habib Nurmagomedov, the guys that can just chain takedown after takedown after takedown, they don't get discouraged when it gets stuffed. You're going to make a lot of money on those guys as long as the prices are reasonable. So that's the debate here. Is that minus 400 reasonable? I'm not sure. So someone said, would I pick Evloyev against Deporia? Yeah, I would. I know that yeah, sounds controversial to a lot of people, but like, dude, like, you're telling me uh, this dude who lost a round to Yusuf Zalal, a guy who almost got knocked out by Jay Herbert, you think I, you think I'm worried about that with Evloyev? Like, I get Tapori is a badass. I get he's got a lot of heart, and I also think he's he's a potential future top 15 guy if he's not already. But there's a difference between being top 15 and being top five or possibly being a future title contender. And that's the kind of regard I, I hold Movsar of Loyev. And so, yeah, I, I got Movsar over Dan Ige and I also got him over Taporia, Billy. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. I would say to the public, don't get fooled by the 50K Ige nickname, man. That's just because this is going to be fight of the night. It's going to go all three rounds. Uh, Avalov's going to win this by decision. He's going to keep the hype train rolling. Um, Ige, man, is just like, I just seen him be durable, but like being durable isn't a good trait, man. You're still getting your ass beat throughout a 15 minute fight. Is he going to be able to throw up enough volume? I don't know, man. If he defends one takedown, I don't think he's going to defend the fifth, the sixth, the seventh, the eighth, because the way Evolove chains wrestles, he's going to try to go in for a single leg. You defend the single leg, he's going to go in for a double leg. Oh, you want to defend the double leg? Bang, judo trip. Like, he's got it all in the package, man. Definitely, um, you know, at the beginning of the week, I wish I was a wasn't so hesitant at the minus 350 price tag, but uh, I waited a little bit too long. But we're still on the hype train. I'm going to parlay him up this weekend with somebody else later on the card. So Justin says Ige might be too small for the division. I mean, yeah, he is a shorter guy, but 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 he's a stocky, thick guy. And it, for him to make 35s, man, 
it would take a lot out of him. And also, he's beat former 55ers. I mean, I know the Edson fight was controversial, but he still went out there and beat a guy who many would consider a larger man. So I don't think the weight class is the issue. I, I just think that at a certain point, you hit your ceiling. And Danny Ige just... I'd say fringe top 15 guy, just a very a tough guy that'll give a lot of people a, a very honest match. I mean, even against Josh Emmett, gets dropped in the first round, comes back, in my opinion, wins the second round. So I think that Dan Ige is one of those guys that's going to hang around. He's going to just give you everybody a tough fight. And if you're not quite ready for his level, Billy, like this guy will go out there and start you. This guy will go over there and dance all over you. And uh, but. Back to this talk about is it going to be a decision or a finish. Now, historically speaking, most of these Evloya fights have been decisions. He went out there at the media day. He said he's going to finish yeah. him in the first round. Now, obviously, talk is cheap, as we know, but um, maybe maybe he sees something. What do you think? Nah, about nah there's a language barrier, you know, because if you watch it, he was doing the uh, translation. He barely knew English. They were asking him, uh, how do you feel about your English? He was like, after this fight, I'm going to touch it up because I know I'm going to get more fights and stuff like that. So everyone wants to say the right thing, but – I believe a little bit more from a dude that speaks English. You got to give me that Alonzo Menafield feeling where you say, uh, you know, if I don't win this fight, I don't think I'm paying off the rent this month. Damn, that's some <laughs> some big words. <laughs> Featured bout also in the featherweight division. We got Mike Trezano. He's 9-2, and two, taking on Lucas Almeida, who is 13-1. Currently, they got it. Michael Trezano. Minus 220, or some places minus 240. The comeback on Lucas Almeida, everywhere from plus 180 to plus 200. And I'm very excited about this fight because they're kind of polar opposite. Look, they're both strikers on paper, but they fight in a very different way. You got Trezano, who kind of has that kind of point touch kind of style, whereas Lucas Almeida, I mean, I wish this guy trained out of shoot the box. Let me, let me double check where he trains out of, man, because he fights like a shoot the box guy. Uh, I've actually never heard of his team, Team Ki uh, Kiyoshi. I'm not sure if that's correct, but that's what it says on Tapology. But this is a dude that will go out there, and he's going to stand and bang until one man falls. And he's actually never fell before, but he has lost a decision. We'll talk about that in a sec. But what do you think about the dynamic of this fight with kind of the point striker the kind of i want to say volume guy but trezano's volume isn't even that high but he's kind of more of a touch touch guy whereas lucas almeida is kind of a kill kill guy well watching some of the interviews this week uh trezano was talking about how he was a little bit frustrated about some of his last performances and he wants to go out here and go for the kill so that's not really what i seen in the film though that's kind of goes against uh what i really feel and he's busted at some price tags before I mean, fight not to go to distance is plus 120. I feel like Almeida, though, he could be a sneaky guy to watch in this fight because, I mean, he fought uh, the golden boy, the Mexican, not Ryan Garcia, the other golden boy on the contender series <laughs> during COVID. And, man, that was one of the best contender series fights of that year in 2021. They were going at it. I mean, obviously, golden boy had a huge reach advantage in that fight, and that was kind of like the – synopsis of the fight was that he was just longer to the punch but he showed a lot of durability in there because i remember coming into that fight i was a little bit skeptical about his uh gas tank but he went the distance and then he came out that next one wherever the fuck the jungle fight was did his thing did what he's supposed to do against a regional scene opponent mike trezano on the other hand i feel like he's just busted at a couple of these price tags where i feel like this 280 price tag should be really minus 150 minus 165 minus 175 somewhere around that price range maybe i'll be a little bit more inclined to bet mike trezano but i think this is one that you want to sit back chill 
watch, enjoy. And uh, if this goes past 10 minutes, maybe going into that third round, you'll get a better idea. I think it's a live betting fight. This is definitely one that I've circled for, uh, you know, sitting at the crib watching this uh, fight card, early afternoon card this week. So I'm pretty blessed for it. Let me say something about Lucas Almeida's uh, contender series fight because, yeah, on paper you could say, oh, well, he's never won a decision, so therefore he must be first round or bust. And also the output uh, waned significantly. You know, he threw like 50-something strikes round one. It dropped down to 20-something in round two and three. Whereas, I mean, still 20 strikes per round is still pretty decent. It's just the first round was at a frantic pace. And... Honestly, man, some of those shots he was landing on on that kid, uh, the, the the kid, the Mexican kid, Golden Boy. Like, what, what's his name? They call him the Golden Boy in Mexico. Golden Boy, yeah. dude. Some of the shit. What's his name? Behuler. Let me let me just look up his name real quick. It's weird. He never fought in the UFC yet. He got signed a minute ago. He, he's fighting a uh, Trey Ogden, as far as I know. Uh, De- uh, Zell Huber. Zell Huber. Okay, so dude, the chin on Zell Huber is something that i haven't seen in a long time it's like you hit this guy with a baseball bat and then he just smiles at you and keeps going forward and those kind of things have have got to discourage you because it's like you hit this guy with the kind of shots that knocked out like 10 other guys on your regional scene and this dude's just like smiling at you waving you on and they weren't soft shots these were concussive blows and the reason i bring that up is because not not saying that Trezano can't take it, but what I am saying is that a lot of people are going to be feeling these shots, and that Zell Huber guy, that, that chin is something to behold. So just because Lucas has never won a decision, that doesn't mean that he can't win a decision. Like, we see it all the time, guys that – you know, have historically been, you know, KO or bust or this or that, they eventually go out there and win decisions. And um, there was a, a fight recently, um, you know, people were talking about, oh, yeah, the the Medich versus Mor- uh, Omar Morales fight. People were saying, oh, Medich is a bust past round one. And I think there needs to be a distinction. Look, you're a bust past round one if you've busted past round one, whereas Medich he simply never went past round one more than once, and he actually won that fight. So you can't call someone round one or bust just because people can't get past the first round with them. You can call them round one or bust if they start significantly gassing out past run past round one. If they start if they start quitting, if they start doing this or that. So well, I didn't if re- anything though, I hate to interrupt you. If anything, if you're going out here on the regional scene and you're going to decisions with these guys, I'm more concerned about that than the dude that's <laughs> trashing the trash cans. Right. Right. You feel me? So what, what I'm trying to say is I'm not just con- I'm not convinced that Lucas is all of su- all of a sudden gonna lose just because the fight goes past round one. Cause what I saw in that fight with Zell Huber was Dude, like some of those shots, like that that Mexican toughness and durability, similar to Hawaiian fighters, is just something genetic. It's something you're born with. It's something you can't teach in the gym. And I'm I'm not convinced that just because Zell Huber was able to eat knockout blow after knockout blow and stay standing, that some of these other guys can. And I don't like the volume on the Trezano side. Now, if they both go to a boxing gym right now, Who's the boxing coach going to say, you know, has the cleaner hands and is the more technical guy and this and that? Probably Trezano. Okay. I mean, he comes from Tiger Shulman. He's very technically sound. I mean, those guys, they're hand fighting, just everything. Their their, their shots come down the middle. Um, Like, I like what they do. It's just that 
when you got this wild man, Lucas Almeida, coming at you, and he's known for that power. And I'm not convinced that just because this insanely gifted chin of Zell Huber was able to eat it, that these other guys will. And I'm not saying Trusano is going to get knocked out, but what I am saying is that there might be more impact when he eats those shots compared to when, you know, Golden Boy ate those shots. So honestly, look, I'm not sitting here confidently saying that Lucas is going to win the fight because you have to respect the UFC experience of a guy like Trusano. UFC experience goes for a lot counts for a lot my man but what i am saying is at, at plus 200 like i wouldn't mind taking you know a one unit shot and j just to see i think the way you got. attack it though dan instead of betting the, uh, the plus 200 play it in DraftKings. why not take that little underdog shot on DraftKings? put in the lineup there's a couple of big favorites on this card there's a lot of underdogs on this card i definitely feel like almeida could be one of the underdogs that are gonna go lower owing on that DraftKings slate this weekend I mean, it doesn't have to be one or the other. No, nah, I don't want to get too invested because if you start getting too invested on the first fight in a 10-week uh, period, you're going to be falling on your face by the end of June. But that's what I'm saying. That's why one unit. That's why you don't go crazy. That's why you don't put three, four, or five units when there's all those unknowns. However, you have a good number at plus 200, and you take that shot. And then, you know, you take a shot on another dog. You only need, and you put the same amount on both. You only need one of them to win for it to come out profitable. So, like, th those are kind of the, the things I like to do. If Lucas was a minus 170 favorite here, well, then I'd sit back and relax and maybe even consider taking a shot on the guy with the UFC experience. It's just, I, I just can't get behind laying minus two something on a guy like Trezano who often doesn't make it decisive enough like even some of these fights he's won like the ludovic klein fight like I, I didn't really think he won at the time now looking back at it i understand why them why he got it you know he kind of did break klein towards the end of that fight and maybe he breaks lucas almeida toward the end of the fight but the point i'm trying to make is if this is going to be that split decision type fight I'd much rather be on the plus 200 than the minus two something. And back to the bankroll management, that's, that's that's why you take that one unit shot. That's why you take that half unit shot, 1.5 units. That's, that's why you don't go crazy because it because this guy is going to come to fight. This, this guy is going to go out there and try to fight for your money. And he's not just gonna lay down like uh like, like this guy we're about to talk about with the padded record here soon, you know. So yeah, I think this is 40 cents too off. Um it's sitting at plus 196. If I had to be an odds maker, I would line, I would feel comfortable betting this up until like plus 150, plus 140. So um I don't know if I'm gonna hit the betting window with it. I kind of like some other shots on this card because there's some really good props to attack on this card. But if you're sitting there on the main card and you're looking to make some money, I definitely think Almeida could be one of the uh, underdogs that are going to be barking on this main card. So DM, I said, I don't go by that value bullshit. I go by who's going to win the fight. So, With so you. you, so so like you're going to lay like minus one thousand on someone just because they're going to win the fight. Like that. That's no. how you feel, man. No, not 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 in that way. I would say. Uh, if you're in a situational scenario, you see this on the contender series all the time. We're getting five fights offered, all of them are minus 300 or more. Do what you got to do, man. You're betting the number. Exactly. You're betting the number and you're using proper bankroll management and discipline. And a lot of dogs come through, especially when I don't know who's going to win this fight, but I have a feeling it's going to be a close split decision type fight. I got plus 200 on the other side like so like why wouldn't i take that shot like that's how 
Oh, he's saying pass on big favorites. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I agree with you, man. Like pass on a big favorite when I think that it's going to be, you know, this this close ass fight that could go either way. And not to mention, I think that Almeida's got the knockout potential in this spot, whereas Trezano, I think he has to squeak by a closely contested decision. And if it's going to be a closely contested decision, I want to be on the plus 200, not the minus two something. Yeah, I would agree a thousand percent with that assessment. Um, I feel like at the end of the day, if you're going to parlay Mike Trezano, don't don't even think about doing it, man. You might get a better live line than uh, what you would pre-flop 260 for Trezano. Pass. I mean, if you're laying minus 260 on Trezano and he loses a split decision, I don't want to fucking hear shit about robbery. That, <laughs> that, that's all I got to say. Uh, now, uh, next up in the flyweight division, this is another one that a lot of people have been talking about. We got Pollyanna Botelio. She's 8-4, and four, taking on Karine. Karine, it's actually pronounced Silva, who is 14-4. and four. Currently, they got it. Karine Silva, she's Minus 120, the comeback on Poliana Botelio is plus 100. So I guess one of the big narratives I've been hearing is that, you know, Poliana Botelio is a gasser. And I can't disagree with that. You know, she does tend to slow down past round one. But, you know, only one of these two ladies has won a decision before in their careers, and that's Poliana Botelio. And not to mention, Karina Silva, man, she did seem to be fading in that contender series fight. She ended up hitting a nasty guillotine, which, you know, I'm a fan of the guillotine. Um but basically what I'm trying to say is this is another one of those coin flip fights that I'm not sure what's going to happen. And I think that's going to be very exciting while it's on the feet. It's just if one of them can get on top and steal around that way. Like, I agree with this being lined to pick them, Billy. I actually don't agree with this fight being lined to pick them. I think this could be one of those lines where it could be similar to another Brazilian like Melissa Gatto when she came into the UFC. It was kind of like, ah, oh, you know, this could be a pick em. She She's at dog odds. Well, then take the shot because if she does get a finish over Patella, who hasn't really looked too good in the UFC, we might not see minus 120 ever again. Um, that is actually all my betting card is going to be Kareem Silva money line. While I would say I'm a little bit scared of the gas tank, like you stated a little bit, I just think this line is a little bit too short. Um, I think that if she gets a finish in this fight, like she's shown a lot of her regional scene, man, she was out here just marking these girls, man. But, you know, the contender series fight, do I really think that Chinese chick was that good? I don't know, man. It felt like she had a little bit of an inflated record, but I don't think Polly. Just Pollyanna a little bit. Just, just a little, a little bit. bit. 20 and three, just a little bit. 20 and three at 26. When were you taking fights? But uh, Patello, <laughs> man, I just not, I am not the Patello fan. I have never been a Patello believer. I am not a fan of her. I wouldn't, I, I see a lot of people taking the dog shot fade the contender series debutante but this isn't the spot man i'm telling you so this is going to cash this minus 120 minus 130 ticket and she's going to prove a lot of doubters wrong and it's going to look like a short line she's i think that she's going to get a finish um on the fight card for the main card you start looking at it a little bit you're like who's going to get a finish who's going to get a finish one fight that is really going to go under radar is going to be this one man i feel like there's not a lot of information on it the bookies set these type of lines where they don't they let the public kind of decide where the action is going to be taken. And I just don't think that Korean Silva should be a minus 120. I feel like this should be more closer to like a minus 150. So am I going to take the shot in the debutante? I think I am, man. Straight money line shot, though. No parlay on this one. Tell me why, though. I mean, tell me why she should be a bigger favorite. Because, look, here's, here's some things we can agree on. 
has Pollyanna Batelio historically, you know, past round one, has have things kind of gone downhill? 100%. I mean, I was in attendance when she fought Lauren Mueller in Atlanta, Georgia in round three. Shit got sketchy, my man. I haven't forgotten that. But I also, to give her credit, you know, in that first round, she comes out super aggressive as well. And what I like about Karina Silva, another one who's very, very aggressive, she comes to fight. I mean, these two are going to scrap. That's the bottom line. It's just what happens past round one, because th- those have always been the question marks for Pollyanna. But I actually have those same question marks for Karina Silva. So how do you kind of see why do you think that Karina should be the distinct favorite here? Well, bringing it back to my girl Gatto, man, I feel like there's a couple of times in women's MMA where if you bet on the unknown, it's going to hit. And I feel like just on the regional scene, it just looks like the record isn't all there. You see the contender series fight and then you really start watching the fight tape and you see this girl's going after it, man. She's choking these people out. She's knocking these people out. She goes for it. Patello does not go for it. Maybe Patello's gassing out. Because she is good. Silva's gassing out because she's going for it. She's throwing a lot of volume. A lot of time in women's MMA, you're kind of like on the fence and you're like, fuck, man, why did I bet this girl? I thought she was going to go for a lot of volume. And then they kind of just, you know, go to a measly decision. Now, Silva's going to fight for your money. She's going to try to go for the finish. And if she does gas out, I feel like she still has a little bit more in the gas tank. She could be up two rounds on the third, drop the third, and still win a decision. I think there's a lot more win conditions. I feel you on that. Um, I'm just still UFC experience counts for a lot in my book. So, but at the same time, I do like the fact that you, like you said, Karina Silva, she does go for it. So she's got that going for her. I'm just on the fence on this one. I need to see how she performs under the UFC lights, but I'm not here to talk you off of her. Like you have conviction on her, like go, go hit it. You know, this this is going to be one of the ones, you know, coming out the same as Zach. Uh, town is my girl Gato. You just gotta ride with these type of prospects, man. And just, uh, you know, just because the person's coming off the contender series, that isn't a valid reason to fade somebody. I, I never said it was. I mean, so, I mean, Sodiq Yusuf came off the contender series. Uh, tons of amazing fighters that I love. Jamal Hill came off the contender series. So I don't agree with this whole bullshit. Oh, just because they come off contender series, let's fade them. And it's like to me, it's like case by case basis. So. You're not going to get that analysis from me. The analysis you are going to get from me is that while Pollyanna Botelio does have that reputation for fading past round one, I mean, Kareem Silva, it's not like Kareem Silva's out here winning decisions. And I also saw uh, Kareem Silva start to slow down in her last fight, too. She got the opportunistic guillotine. Got to give her credit for that. And she could also get something opportunistic here against Botelio, who we've also seen slow down past the first round, too. So I'm not saying that that's not going to be the case. All I am saying is that. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. It's a coin flip for me. Um, so I'm gonna flip a coin real quick. We got uh, who? Finally, who wa- we're not agreeing on a fight here. I feel like uh, the people in the public were like, "Oh, they're agreeing a little bit too much." Who? Who, who do you want to? Who should be heads, Botelio or uh, or Karina? Well, um, I uh, answering that question, I'd rather get head from uh, Botelho, So we're gonna <laughs> Well, she she's she's into women, so. <laughs> I. I Girls like girls, I'm with that shit too. <laughs> oh man, landed on tails, landed on tails. So I guess, all right, this is good. Disagreement. You go with Karina, I'm gonna go with Botelia, and uh, may the best woman win. And you know, it's happy Pride Month to everybody celebrating. <laughs> now, 
Next up in the men's flyweight division, we got Ode Osborne. He's 10 and 4, taking on Zaruk Adashev, who is 4 and 3. Currently, they got it. Ode Osborne minus 185. The comeback on Zaruk Adashev is plus 160. Billy, man, this kid Ode Osborne, he's about as big as you can get for a flyweight, man. Like, you know that, like, he cannot cheat one time on, on his diet to make this weight like he's got to be on point every step of the way whereas Zaruka Dashev you know you know that my boy can go out there take one cheap meal per week no big deal he's gonna make that weight but for Oday Osborne like he's got to be dialed in and I'll tell you what it seems like he is dialed in you know one thing I like about Oday Osborne a lot and he was actually one of my favorite fighters on his season of contender series I always noticed the talent I thought that I like the fact that like it used to be a thing where he'd get taken down and he would just be attacking dudes for subs off his back. But now I really like how he's using his range, his striking is developing. But what I was getting back to is that this is a guy that stepped outside his comfort zone because, you know, he was training at that gym in Milwaukee with uh, Montel Jackson and all of them. And word on the street was that, you know, certain people weren't showing up to the gym. He wasn't getting the looks that he wanted. So he actually moved to Vegas, I believe. And now he's, you know, he's training, right? Yeah, he's training like a true professional fighter, which I like. And Zaruka Dashev, I know he's four and three, but he's also got, you know, an extensive kickboxing record. I think he's a bit better than than his uh, record shows. So, how do you kind of see this one going, man? Because you got the ultra talented, and and not not just in terms of skills, but also athletically speaking. And Ode Osborne taking on a guy in Zaruka Dashev, who you know he's the smaller guy, but He's he's got some he's got some decent he's better than his four and three record indicates. I'll leave it at that. Yeah, with Osborne, man, um, this fight actually opened up at minus one fifty, ballooned up to minus two hundred where it's sitting right now, and it could probably balloon up even more by the time fight time goes off. I feel like Adeshev was just a product of covid for the ufc where they're assigning these fringe ufc fighters giving them fights he's on the last fight of his contract here and i feel like this is just a build-up fight for Odie osborne sitting at minus 200 i mean he's getting better and better so what he got knocked up by manel cape manel cape is actually i think manel cape is good me too um, and Os- early stoppage yeah early stoppage i feel like with uh Odie osborne just the only concern that i would say is sometimes it feels like he gets into these backyard battle fights where he's just swinging for the fences, swinging back. And at that point, who's to say Adeshev can't swing back a little bit of power? But I think the reach advantage is really going to be the key here in this fight. 66-inch reach for Adeshev standing at 5'4". Like you said, Odie Osborne, one of the bigger flyweights in the division. I feel like there's levels to this shit. And Odie Osborne at minus 200, I feel like that's one of the best reasonable price tags on the whole entire board this week. If you caught that opener at minus 150, you're sitting pretty happy. Um, You know, we talked about a little bit of line value, but this is line value that's going to cash because uh, Odie Osborne is going to get this finish over Adeshev. Yeah, I've had pretty decent results uh, betting on Ode Osborne and fading Zaruk Adashev, you know. So I did bet Ode Osborne in the Brian Kelleher fight, lost, but then I won on him against Jerome Rivera and against CJ Vergara. So and so I, I, like, uh, I like betting this guy, and, man, I feel like he's so talented and we haven't even scratched the surface yet of what he's capable of. And it's not just the athletic traits. It's not even just the techniques. He's only 30 years old, man. So he's just slowly entering his prime. And I feel like once he starts to feel comfortable at flyweight, once he's got that weight cut dialed in, 
I think we're going to start to see some big things from him. Because, like, even in that Manel Cap fight where, you know, officially on paper he got knocked out, I personally thought it was an early stoppage, especially considering that Ode Osborne's a guy that's known for fighting off his back. Like, give the guy a little bit of time to recover. But regardless of that, I thought he was looking really good in that fight, man. I thought it was 50-50 until the time that uh, he got caught with that beautifully time-flying knee by another guy who was one of the most talented guys in the flyweight division. And then it was Aruk Adashev. Again, I know the record says four and three and, and this and that, but I think he's a lot better than that record indicates. Um, I believe his kickboxing record was 17 and three. So, you know, take that for what it's worth. I mean, the guy can definitely bang. It's just that sometimes with the size disadvantage, you know, he's going to get knocked down in fights and not just the Tyson Nam fight, even the fight he won against Ryan uh, Benoit and even the uh, the other one against Asuma Darji. You know, he had some moments, but when it was it was about I know he can give it, but can he take it too? especially against these kind of guys? That's what I'm kind of worried about. Like, does he need a little more experience on a smaller show before he fights here? I, but I, I still think he's better than the record indicates. So I think he might give Ode a tougher fight, but I think Ode is going to have those big moments that kind of sway the judges towards his side or potentially even get a finish along the way. One thing that hasn't been tested is we don't know how Zaruka Dashev's submission game is. We don't know how he is off his back. We just know how he is standing. He kind of reminds me of like a little bit of a flyweight kind of, he's kind of got that like Frankie Edgar uh, boxing style a little bit, you know, the, the little, little patter, patter, patter circle around the cage. And, you know, if you let him get up on points, he can go out there and win decisions. But I think that Ode Osborne is going to be looking pretty. It's going to be looking dynamic. And I, I got Ode Osborne to come out here and uh, win another fight in the flyweight division. Yeah, I'm shocked this line isn't a little bit more ballooned up to like minus two thirty, minus two fifty. Um, Zarek Adeshev, I I know I know the four and three record is a little bit deceiving. He could be better than the four and three record, but I just think Styles make fights, and this is not a good stylistic matchup for him. Justin says O'Day is like a box of chocolates. What's the rest of that quote? I don't remember. I have no idea. I don't ever call a dude a box of chocolates. That's just not the route I go. Is but does he mean? You never know what you're going to get because there's a quote. So and so, it's like a box of chocolates, dot, dot, dot. Like, what's what's the quote? Is it you never know what you're going to get? Like, is, is that, that like the old school uh, heart Valentine's Day chocolates where you had all a bunch of different flavors? Yeah, there's some quote. I just don't fucking remember the next part of the quote. So, Justin, let us know what the next part of the quote is because I'm curious what you mean by that. I think he means you don't know what you're going to get. So, I think that's a little bit. I, I think that little bit is recency bias from the Manel Cape fight because uh, a lot of people were, I don't know why, but a lot of people that week I remember were betting Odie Osborne against Manel Cape. They were saying Manel Cape was a fraud, and then he kind of shit the bed. And I feel like ever since that fight, everyone's like, oh, out of Osborne, blah, blah, blah. Nah, Osborne's going to get this finish. But um, the Manel Cape fight, try to wash that one out of your head because I think Manel Cape is on the rise. I'm one of the biggest Manel Cape uh, fanboys. Okay, we were right. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah. You never know what you're gonna get. That's that's the other part of the quote. Um, yeah, I think I, there's I, a many ways, like you said, that he can win this fight. He can win this on the ground. He can win this by knockout. He can win this by decision. I think that minus two hundred price tag. If you're betting minus two hundred, you want to know that person's gonna win. I think he has multiple win conditions. Yeah, my, I guess the only concern is just back to we got to know that he's dialed that weight cut, and even if he hasn't, still go out there and win two rounds, lose the third one, no big deal. You still win the fight, but. Yeah, just 
once he starts to feel like flyweight is his home, like I, I do see a, a future top 15 guy in Ode Osborne. So let's see how he handles this test. And I do agree with you. I think he comes out here and beats uh, Zaruk Adashev. Um, not sure how, though. Not sure if it's going to be a finish. Not sure if it's going to be a decision. Ultimately, I'm picking him for this win. Yeah, it might be the last time you see Adashev in the UFC. <laughs> maybe we'll see we'll see yeah this is his fourth fight you know they get four or five contracts so you know yeah so i said he's on the last fight of his contract definitely feels like a uh promotional spot for Odie osborne to get this win come back in august and uh fight somebody bigger at the same token flyway is a very shallow division so you never know it might use him to get someone else back on track but it just depends how he performs comes out here and gets starched right away okay goodbye but let's say he, he loses a hard fought decision where you know, he shows his heart, he shows his balls, then then maybe they give him another chance. But yeah, I, I feel where you're coming from. And the pick is also Ode Osborne for me. Now, before I talk about this fight, everybody's been looking forward to between Alonzo Menafield and Askar Mozarov, which I believe is not even his real name. Um, everybody do me a huge favor and smash that like button, hit the subscribe button, truly appreciate it, share, comment, retweet. All those little things you guys do help the show grow tremendously, and I'm very, very grateful for that. And also, thank you to Billy Briz for joining me as my guest uh, for today's show. Thank you. Yeah, buddy. thank you for the invite, man. Longtime fan of the show. I appreciate that. So, next up in the 205 pound division, kicking off the main card, we got Alonzo Atomic Menafield. He's 11 and three, taking on Asker Morozov, who allegedly is 19 and 12 now. His record's been changing by the day. Currently, they got it. They got it. Alonzo Menafield minus 220. The comeback on Asker Mozarov is plus 180. So here's the thing about this fight. So a lot of people are talking about how, well, they just saw, you know, this topology record update. So now they're rushing to the window to bet Alonzo Menafield. Oh, this guy's a fraud, this and that. To me, the topology record update literally had zero impact on how i viewed this fight because all i had to do was watch three fights of this guy to know like what the deal was i mean i watched him knock a couple people out in like under a minute and then i watched him go against a 14 and 10 guy a guy who he was way bigger than and the 14 and 10 guy got on top one time landed an elbow and mozharov tapped and you know said enough was enough so basically here's what i'm trying to get at I understand why people are rushing to bet Menafield because this guy is a fraud, the the Morozov, but here's what you got to understand. He's still a good hammer. I mean, he can still come out here and knock people out. He still swings concussive blows. He still has leg kicks, which is a big thing, and he throws big bombs. He can knock people out. He's got a bunch of first-round finishes, so like, you can't just completely discount him, but what you can discount is that if he ends up in one bad spot, if he gets taken down one time, if if he gets a little cut over his eye, if things don't go perfect for Mozarov, he's, he's most likely going to look for the door. And to take it a step further, this is a guy who used to be a welterweight. Then he uh, started taking uh, some Flintstone vitamins, got on a nice little uh, supplement plan. He started eating his fruits and vegetables all of, all of a sudden. He's going up to light heavyweight to heavyweight. He's this jacked-ass dude killing these guys on the scene now we got usada in the picture now reality starting to set in. now he's going to start looking a little deflated y'all remember y'all remember um my boy, who's that 
Felipe Lins. Oh, I got a better one for you. Y'all remember my boy Eric Silva back in the day? Remember when Eric Silva was fighting pre-USADA, killing everybody? All of a sudden, they start those drug tests. My boy gets my boy's got love handles on him and shit. You know what I'm saying? So it's gonna be one of those situations. And with Atomic Alonzo, I mean, he's all he's a very physical guy. He's athletic, big leg kicks, big punches. Um, I actually think his grappling is quite a bit underrated. It's just a thing where sometimes he tends to fade down the stretch. And I have seen him wobbled and hurt in a lot of fights. Um, not just the one he got knocked out against OSP, but even the William Knight fight. He's controlling most of the fight. He's clearly the better fighter than William Knight. But when it was Willie's turn to, to touch that chin, Alonzo was wobbling all over the place, and that's what cost him the fight. So although back to the UFC experience, which is something I that counts for a lot in my book. I do favor Alonzo, and I think that if Alonzo can get on top of this guy one time, the fight might be over shortly after. The reason that, you know, a lot of people are max betting Alonzo now because of this record update shit. It was like, guys, you can just go see him tap the strikes versus a 14 and 10 guy and know the deal without his record having to be updated. So to me, the record update, like, that don't mean shit to me. I, I knew the deal right when I saw him. There's still a chance that despite all this bullshit, this guy can still come out here and win by first round knockout. Like he's still going to throw those concussive blows. It's just about Billy. Is Alonzo going to put him in that one uncomfortable spot where uh, Askar is you know, ready to, to live the fight another day? Well, Dan, let me tell you, it's been rough sleeping this week. Uh, you know, when you got money on Alonzo Manifield, the PTSD, the PTSD dreams start coming back into play. The o, the OSP knockout starts running into your head, and then you wake up, you're like, fuck, I might have to cash out on that ticket. In this spot, though, I'm not going to lie, my boy MMA Jewish better. I can't take all the credit. He hit me up early in the week on, like, Memorial Day. He was blowing up my phone. He was like, dude, you got to read this article. You got to read this article. You got to read this article. I pull up this article. He's Dude's fighting at welterweight. Dude's doing this, that, and the third. And this is after the fact that I watched a little bit of the fight tape. Because, you know, I watched the fight tape late at night. A little bit of joint in me and stuff like that. And I was like, man, this dude, he could be the one to beat Alonzo Menafield. Then I actually look at the fucking records that the dudes that he was fighting. Holy shit. And the organizations. Hey, man, this is just one of those products of short notice replacement. This is a line on Alonzo Menafield that is honestly egregious in my opinion on FanDuel rounds one or two and Alonzo Menafield is plus 100 I feel like if this goes into the third round shit he might fucking lose but I've, I've been there done that with Alonzo Menafield going hammer on Alonzo Menafield before man it was a it's been rough sleeping this week but only a couple more nights of sleep until I gotta face my uh demons and uh no I got money on Alonzo Menafield this weekend pretty heavily over Oscar um I don't think we see oscar even in the ufc after this fight this is one of the weirdest scenarios that you'll ever see in your life and the thing that really caught me was the fact that when they interviewed him before the usada suspension was he was talking about like you said go, he was at welterweight and stuff like that and that's where the weight class that you wanted to go inside the ufc alonzo menafield you know i kind of had the ptsd vibes going against fabio charant he went out there did the damn thing and um he's showing more Arsenal in his ground game, being at Fortis MMA, is definitely uh, improving his gas tank a little bit. Um, I didn't really rate him too high against William Knight. I felt like that was a bad stylistic matchup for him. But uh, I think this is a good stylistic matchup for Alonzo Menafield. If you watch his interviews this week, 
boy needs some money. He was talking about, I need this check. I need the bonus too. I got rent to pay. So I'm all over Alonzo Menafield in this spot. And Alonzo, fool me once, fool me twice, fool me the third time, I'm out. <laughs> if he fools you thrice, you, you're never going to do it again. But I mean, to me, speaking of PTSD, I mean, it's just like, look, Alonzo should win on principle. The UFC experience has to count for a lot, not to mention you put this guy in one bad spot, the Askar guy, and, you know, he'll live the fight another day. And Alonzo, even though he gasses out down the stretch, at least I haven't seen him quit in fights. Um, but there, there's also that thing where I've seen Alonzo lose to borderline frauds too. Like you Devin know, Clark, Devin Clark, uh, William Knight. Like, and I, look, I love watching. I love me some William Knight in terms of watching him, but like, you can't look me in the eye with a straight face and tell me that <laughs> William Knight fights with like some high class technique. My boys are out there with his chin straight up in the air. It's just, he's a, He's a freak athlete, man. And that's not to discredit his hard work. That's not to discredit, you know, the fact that he made it to the UFC fair and square, like paid his dues. I'm not discrediting that at all. I, I'm just saying that William Knight can get away with doing things technically wrong because of his gifts. Um, I mean, when that guy explodes, <laughs> he, I mean, when, like Alonzo Manny feels like winning the whole fight a lot, and and William Knight touches him one time, has him wobbling all over the place, right? It's like those little things like that. So I'm just saying, I've seen him lose to frauds before, but I do have to go with the UFC experience and just the fact that um, Asker, when he gets into these bad spots. T tends to fold it's just the thing to be worried about is even if this guy's a fraud even if his record is fake even if he's coming off steroids and this and that he's still gonna go out there and throw bombs in the first couple minutes so like it's not like this guy is gonna come out here throw one kick go to his back and you know that's it he's gonna he's gonna empty the clip and in in doing so that could possibly catch alonzo that's what you got to be worried about but if that doesn't happen I think Alonzo Manafield wins this fight. Yeah, I'm not going max bet season on the first fight card <laughs> back, but Alonzo Manafield is definitely going to be a uh, heavy favorite bet for me because um, it's just like, this is what we're doing nowadays, man. We're changing names. I mean, I've I seen the mafia and the mob down here in New Jersey before, but I guess shit hits different over there in Ukraine. I mean, Ukraine, especially coming out of Ukraine, do you think that he even had a full fight camp coming into this fight? Who knows where this guy's been? They definitely gave him a call. They said, yo, you trying to fight, man? He said, fuck it, I'm there. And there he is. Now he's about to get his ass beat by Alonzo Menafield. And this might be one of the I keep on saying this to myself. This is going to be the last time I bet on Alonzo Menafield. But Alonzo, if you do this to me one more time, this is over. But, yeah, I think you got to bet Alonzo Menafield. This should be a minus 300, minus 350 line. This should be closer to that uh, Renat Rizakinov fight earlier on the card. I feel like that should be like flip-flop lines. Like I feel like he should be a minus 175 going up to 200, not the reverse. I think Alonzo Menafield's one of the best bets on the card this week. And to answer your question in terms of like what's this guy been doing, this and that, I mean, to quote my girl from Ozark, uh, I don't know. I don't know shit about fuck. So you know what I'm saying? Like I don't know, bro. So I wish I wish you luck on that Menafield bet. Now, uh, headlining the prelims, we actually got a rematch between Felice Herrick. She's 14 and nine, taking on Carolina Kovacevich, who was 12 and seven. Currently, they got it. 
Felice Herrick minus 125. The comeback on Karolina Kovalevich is plus 105. So they fought before Karolina Kovalevich won the decision. Listen, in, back in Karolina's day, man, she was fucking awesome. Um, I actually cashed a plus 215 on her in Atlanta, Georgia, when she fought against Rose Namajunas. So, like, she'll always have a special place in my heart for that. I've always fucked with... Uh, with Carolina and Felice, not that this matters, but I didn't like how much of a bully she was to Randa Marcos on the Ultimate Fighter, and then Randa ends up submitting her in the first. That made me happy, but and then also shout out to my girl Verna Janjidoba for submitting Felice in the first round easily and cashing that money. So I think both of these, with all due respect, are washed up fighters. Felice has all the injuries, all the surgeries. Carolina got diagnosed with Hashimoto's disease. It's like I wish you both the best. I think you guys are pioneers of you know some of the earlier stages of the strawweight division so much respect uh i'll go with the underdog who actually beat the favorite one so let's go with carolina to get back on track and hopefully they both retire after this fight and if not hopefully they both get matched up with prospects and we can make money down the line this is if you're chilling at the crib this is the fight that you put the pizza in the oven go roll your blind go get your drink because I wouldn't bet this fight with a million dollars in my fucking hand, man. You got Felice Herrig over here on Instagram. I couldn't tell you the last time I seen a training video of her. It's all of her OnlyFans promotions. She's coming off a two-year layoff. Hey, the one thing I'll say about these UFC girls, go get that money. But once you start doing the OnlyFans and the feet pictures and stuff like that, your head's not in the fight game. You're worried about other different paydays. And I'm shocked that she was even still on the roster. Carolina on the on – the, other hand, do I really want to be betting Carolina? This is a definition of a dog or pass. Man, don't bet this fight. 1-800-GAMBLER, where you at? 1-800-GAMBLER <laughs> until one of them gets a first-round armbar and you look like a genius. You know, Don't even saying? bet the over. The, you know how like people <laughs> always want to blindly bet the over on the chick fight for a little parlay? Oh, I don't want to bet evil off. I'm going to take the over on the Felice. No, don't do it, man. Don't fucking do it. <laughs> now, this one is a little bit more tricky. Next up in the lightweight division, we got a matchup between a serious black belt, Joe Selecki, he's 11-3, taking on the very talented Alex Leco Da Silva, who is 21-3. Currently, they got it. Joe Selecki, minus 170. The comeback on Alex Leco Da Silva is plus 145. This is a tricky one, man, because Joe Selecki is a guy I'm very familiar with from the regional scene because he was fighting here in the South. Um, and, man, his jiu-jitsu game is seriously on point. I mean, there's a guy who's so confident in his jiu-jitsu, he'll pull guard in the middle of fights, which is a big red flag, and you don't want that to happen a lot, but he's that confident. I mean, he takes your back, he gets on your neck. Chances are the fight's going to be over, and as a result, people sleep on his stand-up. Not that his stand-up is the best. You know, I've actually seen him be knocked brutally unconscious if you go back and you watch that Nicholas Mata fight, but he has been working on his hands. He's been getting a lot better there. And Alex Leco da Silva... Man, he's a wild card because I actually think he's super talented, man. I think that he's good everywhere. It's just sometimes this in-fight decision-making is what cost him. Like that Alexandria Kovalev fight, I loved how things were going. One little mistake, and, you know, he's getting tapped out. And the Rodrigo Vargas fight handled it perfectly, but the Brad Riddell fight, you know, he even won a round against Brad Riddell, but tends to kind of slow down down the stretch. I think I think he might even be too big for lightweight. I think the guy cuts a shit ton of weight that might impact his uh, his condition. 
And when I say it impacts his conditioning, I mean, I know the guys out here running his miles. For for Alex Laco da Silva to make 155 pounds, this guy is putting in the strength and condition. This guy is running his miles. It's just that that those weight cuts got to take so much out of him, and, and that's what I'm most worried about. So how do you kind of think these two match up? This fight was, uh, I feel like watching that Jerry Gordon fight, um, which was uh, Selecki's last fight, kind of gives you a read on this fight. I feel like in that fight, Jared Gordon was just a bigger guy in there, and he just got into the split decision range. But every other time, I feel like we've seen Joe Selecki dominate guys that are a little bit smaller than him. And he took a little bit of time off, took a couple grappling bouts. And if you look at the grappling bouts, the people that he's fought, Gregory Rodriguez, it's like two-way classes up, Dan, uh, Donald Cerrone. I mean, this is good things that you want to see out of a fighter that took a loss, a big, the big first time loss in his career. And I feel like Alex De Silva on the other side, I mean, he could be the guy because the lot of the public money originally this line opened up at minus 200. Now it's down to minus 175. You see some of the money coming in on Alex De Silva, Alex De Silva. I mean, he, I feel like we haven't seen the best of him because you watch some of his fight tape, you see some bright spots you see some down spots but i feel like the big thing here is going to be fight iq his fight iq isn't going to be there against joselecki um still 26 years old i feel like he's going to win some fights in the ufc just not this one against selecki am i going to the betting window and placing it fuck no i gotta sit back watch chill and uh take this one for the notes because this could be a greasy one uh joe selecki did, I, I picked him against Jared Gordon, so I guess I'm a little bit recency bias against that. But um, I feel like he's going to be the bigger guy. He's going to be able to get off his game plan. And uh, Alex De Silva, name the watch in a couple of years, but not yet. So you're going Selecki, you said? Selecki. Not to the betting window, though. Just a pick. Yeah, look, I do think there's a dog or pass situation. It's just I need to see Alex put that complete game together. Like It's just like there's something missing, and I can't pinpoint what it is because the physical attributes are there. I know he can strike. I know he can grapple. Like, I think he can do it all. And it's just these little mental lapses in the middle of fights, these these adrenaline dumps affecting his cardio in the middle of fights. Like, that's a, that, that's what I'm most worried about here. Whereas Selecki, more of the consistent guy, you kind of know what you're going to get out of him. So I do agree. But I, I kind of don't think someone someone said it's cardio, Dan. Yeah, but when you say it's cardio, that implies that he's not out here running his miles. For a guy that size to make 155, I, I know he's doing his strength and conditioning. I know he's running his miles. It's just maybe it's the pacing. It, but what I really think, it's the weight cut. That weight cut is so brutal on this guy that that takes away from his cardio it's just you gotta um you just gotta be clear about that because when people talk about someone having shitty cardio you can't sit here and say that alex laco ain't running his miles like look at the shape this guy's in I, I know he's putting in his road work it's just with that weight cut like how do you recover that next day and expect to be a hundred percent that's that's kind of where i where i draw the line there man and exactly he my boy said he, he's all gas, no brakes. Exactly. So it's it's a pacing issue, not a cardio issue. He learns how to pace himself. I think he's got talent. I think he's I think he's a skilled individual. And I don't fault anyone for taking the shot because if this is the time when the kid finally puts it together, I mean, this is his 25th pro fight. At some point, you either got to sink or swim. At some point, you either got to put it all together or not. And this could be the time 
when he puts it all together. I'm not I'm not discounting that. And I don't see any value on Selecki at minus 170. I'm going to sit back, pure pick Selecki, just because I think he's proven a little bit more and because I think he kind of know he's kind of comfortable with who he is as a fighter. But again, I'm not going to be surprised to see Alex da Silva you know, he's a talented guy. Put it all together one time on this night and get this win. So I think it's a dog or pass situation, but pure pick, uh, Selecki. Yeah, don't live bet that fight either because if you live bet that fight, some weird shit could happen with some type of submission or something like that. And you think that one person could be up or something like that and then, boom, end up getting submitted. There could be a lot of weird outcomes in that fight. That's why I don't really want to bet it. There's a lot of different win conditions for both fighters, but I think Selecki more times than not. So everybody in here, do us that huge favor. Smash that like button. Hit that subscribe button. Truly, truly appreciate y'all being here with us. So next up in the featherweight division, we got Damon Jackson. He's 24-1. and one. What, a ni- what a nice record. Actually, it's really 20-5 and five because the Honey-Jason fight got overturned. But even if it's 20-5, and five, that's a fantastic record as well. Taking on Daniel Argueta, who is 8-0, making his UFC debut. Currently, they got it. Uh, Damon Jackson, holy shit, minus 600, Billy Briz. Minus 600 on Damon Jackson. Uh, the comeback on Dan Argueta is plus 450. So, okay, I guess I got a couple things to say. You know, Damon Jackson, he's come a long way, man, because he used to be kind of one of those guys that would give up bad positions in fights, but he'd kind of be like an opportunistic submission guy. But that last fight against Kamuela Kirk, Man, I felt like he turned a corner because he dominated Kamuela Kirk pillar to post. I was expecting it to be this 50-50 fight where there were going to be these back-and-forth scrambles and it was going to come down to who got that top position in the last 30 seconds to sway the judges over. And let me tell you something. Damon Jackson put it on him in a way where I was like, God damn. Oh, I was like, okay, Damon. Okay, Damon. Keep doing what you're doing, young man. And then the big dynamic here is, look, this kid Dan Argueta, Firstly, shout out to my fellow Daniel. You know, I got to give him respect, share the, <laughs> share the same first name. So what's up, my man? And um, he's moving up in weight class to featherweight. But let me actually say this. Although his normal weight class is weight, and he's moving up to featherweight, he's actually got more fights at featherweight and even 150-pound catchweights than he does at weight. So he's got experience fighting against some bigger boys. It's just that when you're talking about the UFC level, Weight classes are there for a reason, and it's going to be tough to control a guy like Damon Jackson in his current form. So while I think that Argueta might land a big shot or two, might get a takedown or two, ultimately down the line, I do see the leech doing what the leech does, dragging him down to the ground and and getting the better of that second and third round, possibly finding a submission along the way. But you're not going to catch me dead laying no minus 600 on Damon Jackson against anybody on the UFC roster. So this is actually a dog or pass situation. Um, you know, I laid minus 200 on Taporia against Damon Jackson. Um, but, uh, yeah, and I think – I don't remember who I bet in the Yancey Madero's and Damon, and Damon Jackson fight, but all I know is that you cannot lay minus 600 on Damon Jackson, but I will pick him to win this fight. UFC experience and size will be the, will be the keys here. I think this is a situational scenario, though, Dan. Uh, Dan Argueta literally just fought less than 30 days ago in a five-round fucking war against Diego Silva. It was a fight that 
they're banging back and forth with each other. We originally saw Daniel Arguedo on the Ultimate Fighter, and he lost to Ricky Tortoise. Um, And then that fight, it seems like, I feel like, a lot of his win condition is he wants to go in for the grapples, the single legs and stuff like that, and do a lot of the stuff that he did in the regional scene. But as you start moving up levels, like you said, there's weight classes to this. A lot of more people are technical and stuff like that. And I just feel like technically speaking, I feel like Damon Jackson has the ability to get this done. And the, I'm shocked that Daniel Argueta even took this fight. If you rewatch that fight, man, it's like, I just have a lot of doubts that you're going to come in 20, 30 days later Give a good performance of yourself. I think Damian Jackson gets this done inside the distance, and I think it's going to be done pretty easily. I like that KO or submission prop, a.k.a. the inside the distance line at minus 145. Usually in scenarios, that's usually minus 160, minus 175 for these types of spots. But, man, this is straight off that LFA fight where that – how do you fight five rounds, cut the weight, get the big notice call? I mean, I feel like this just was a dude that was on the phone book. You know, Dana had him on the phone book. He went down a couple of people and he was like, you know what? Let's give that uh, let's give that uh, ultimate fighter guy a shot. And um, I didn't really think he looked that good on the ultimate fighter. Now he's in the UFC. We've seen this happen before in, uh, that on that same exact season. And I feel like this is just a setup fight for Damon Jackson to get this finish. But like you said, minus 650. Is it going to give you the warm and fuzzies to the betting window? No, that's why you take the inside of distance prop. I think it's a done uh, second round submission or first round. Well, I wouldn't say setup fight in terms of the matchmaker's perspective, just because it's more of a fill-in fight because he was supposed to fight Derek Minner. They needed a last-minute replacement, so they called this kid up who was you know, willing to step up on short notice. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I agree with you in terms of who's going to win and, and all that. But in terms of why would Dan take this fight, I mean, dude, you don't turn down the UFC because when you Never. turn down the UFC – there's chances are, oh, oh, you don't want you don't want this fight. All right. Well, we're not going to call you for another year or two, you know, so you don't want to play those games. Um, so that's why he took it. So maybe he takes it and let's say he loses. But let's say he loses admirably, shows a lot of heart. Then maybe after that, they can give him, you know, let, let him go in there with Chris Moutinho. Well, he got cut, you know, it's something like that and give him a more even matchup on the next time out just because you had the balls to step up against a much larger man up away class on short notice to do them a favor. So, but we got to see how he performs first. Cause I mean, if he just like, if he comes out here and just looks like he doesn't belong, they might cut him after one fight. Right. But he uh, might not look like he belongs. Cause a lot of his win condition, a lot of his fight style is heavy grappling related. You're not pulling that shit off against Damon Jackson. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I mean, he's minus 600 for a reason. It's just, if the line is accurate, there's no value. So Pat, it's it is it is dog or pass. Hope that Damon slips on a banana peel. Hope that a fluke injury happens. Like I don't hope that that's what happens. I'm saying if you bet from the a bet. plus the plus five hundred on Argueta, that's what you would you would pray for. A DQ. Damon gets really cocky and knees the kid while he's down. Some shit like that. That those are the scenarios you got to bring up when you're talking about minus six hundreds. Because I mean, you got to lay down twelve hundred dollars to win two hundred. Like. Yeah, but I think in this uh, card this week, there's a lot of big favorites here. You're probably looking for like a three-fighter parlay to uh, get you close to even odds the best way you can, and Damon Jackson could be one of those selections. Um, I feel a little bit more comfortable about fading Dan Argueta than fading Dan 50K Ige. 
I mean, yeah, I I under I understand why. <laughs> you know, I mean, come on. <laughs> Dan 50k is a top 15 UFC talent, right? That's so what I, I'm saying. From a betting perspective, you're gonna need three favorites to go grab yourself a parlay. That's why I said I thought I like the inside of distance prop. Uh Minus 145 on the inside of distance here for Damon Jackson. 15 out of 20 wins by submission. I feel like Daniel Argueta is going to play into that, getting to the mat. And then once they get to the mat, you're going to see there's levels to this shit. Fair enough. Uh, no debate here. Next up in the lightweight division, we got two welterweights dropping the lightweight. We got Francis Benoit Saint-Denis. He's 8-1, and one, taking on Germany's Nicholas Stolza, who was 12-5. and five. Currently, they got it. Benoit Saint Denis minus one sixty. The comeback on Nicholas Stolza is plus one forty. So, man, Benoit Saint Denis, you gotta give credit to this dude. It's hard. The kind of ass whooping he took against Zaleski, and to not give up, to not look for a way out, and to have that absolutely moronic referee not protect the fighter was just insane. Um, I mean, like, if Benoit Saint-Denis didn't answer the bell between rounds, none of us would have held it against him. If Benoit Benoit Saint-Denis even tapped the strikes, none of us would have held it against him. So the fact that this guy lives to fight another day is dropping a weight class, like, dude, win, lose, or draw, Benoit, you got my respect. And with Nicholas Stolza, you know, he got knocked out by my good friend Jared Gooden recently, and now he's dropping a weight class as a result. And I don't know if you guys recall, you know, I, I didn't want to talk about this, but I'm going to talk about it. Uh, do you guys remember how on the day of the fight between Jared Gooden and Nicholas Stolza, the lines went down for a little bit? People were talking about, wait, is this fight canceled? Is this not? Is this fight on or not? And then Jared went on Twitter and was like, guys, like I'm, I'm fighting tonight. So I had to find out what the backstory was story <laughs> of what happened. And the backstory was that now, this part, I'm assuming. What I'm assuming happened was Nicholas Stoltz, I saw Jared at, at the weigh-ins. They went face-to-face, and he was like, oh, fuck. Like, I ain't, I ain't never seen a dude like this before. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But what actually happened was the next day, Nicholas was trying to pull out the fight. Nicholas was like, yo, like, I, 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 ain't, I ain't fighting this dude. You know what I'm saying? Um, so he was literally trying to pull out the fight. Like they had to convince him to go out there and fight. And then you saw what happened. Jared uh, picked him up and slammed him. Jared knocked him unconscious. Him. Like Jared just, you know. And by the way, shout out to my boy Jared Gooden on a win streak. Uh, Sean Shelby, they didn't cut him. He just uh, ran out of his four fight deal. And Sean was like, hey, just get a little bit more experience. And, and you know fix a couple things and we'll get you back in there because i mean jared was in there co-main events with randy brown four fights into his ufc career you feel what i'm saying but yeah. when they but when they put him in there with kind of a, a more entry-level guy like nicholas stolta you saw how he handled him but now jared's on the regional scene just absolutely destroyed curtis melender and yeah people can be like oh curtis loses all these fights yeah curtis loses when guys grapple him but jared's the only man in mma history to knock out Curtis Melender standing. He didn't take him down one time. He beat him on the feet. So shout out Jared Gooden. Now that he's up at his normal weight class 85s, he'll be back. We're trying to do that um, Jared Gooden versus Mackie Coconut Bombs Patolo fight, and then the winner can come back to the UFC. So that's that's what we're hoping to do. But anyways, I would say that Benoit Saint-Denis is the tougher guy. I would say that Nicolas Stolce probably has the better technique here. I mean, I saw a nice guillotine attempt against Ramazan Amiv. I saw a nice knee in that fight. Whereas Benoit Saint-Denis, he's willing to bite down on that mouthpiece and chuck big bombs. So I just can't personally 
lay chalk on Benoit Saint-Denis on the merit that, oh, he took his ass-whooping well. Like, back to what we were talking about earlier, being when your best quality is how good you are at getting your ass whooped, like, how am I supposed to lay chalk on that? Like, at least Nicholas Stoltz has got some skill, even if he might not be the toughest for UFC standards. When I say he might not be the toughest, guys, people take that out of context so much. They think they think they're, I'm saying oh, I'd beat him in a fight. Fuck no, this guy would kill me. What I'm saying is that at the UFC level, might not be the toughest guy. But that being said, I think Nicholas Stolza has the more skill here, and I think it's a dog or pass situation. So I'm going to say uh, Stolza gets back on track. See, I would have to disagree with you. I mean, I know coming off that loss in October against Zaleski, man, that was absolutely one of the best fights I've ever watched. But, I mean, I get it. He was getting his ass whipped the whole entire time. But I feel like he uses his – in the regional scene, he was using his wrestling to get to the submissions. And seven out of eight career wins were by submission. And then the last fight was the one that he went to decision because the big question was about his durability. That's why everybody was betting the under two and a half. And boom, goes to the distance. I feel like that was the – level of experience that he kind of needed and I feel like Stoltz in his USC debut against Amiv he showed that he has the ability to be controlled he was taken down four different times and lost a majority decision he's yet to really face a submission artist I think that could be the difference here um, if you're looking on Bavada and FanDuel this week they got the double chance section I think I'm going to string off the uh, submission or decision at minus 115 I feel like St. Denis has the volume advantage he has the wrestling advantage here in this fight and i wouldn't i'm with you dogger pass considering the minus 175 i'm not really looking to pay minus 175 on saint denise but if you go over there to bavada fan duel and grab that submission or decision at minus 115 i think that's money in the bank this week i hope you get it because i'm not taking either side but my just my logic is you can't bet minus 170 on the merit that you're really good at getting your ass whooped period yeah i just don't think stoltz is usc level I don't, I don't, I'm not, I'm not going to argue with that. <laughs> you won't get an argument from me there. So let's see what happens. Um, but I mean, I will say at least he had some moments against Ameev. Now, granted, Ameev ain't what he used to be. Ameev is on, is on the downside. There was one point when Ameev was on this nice win streak in the UFC. And even though the fights might not be the most exciting, like he's still a very skilled guy, was able to do that Russian coasting style. But I, I kind of feel like he's been falling off. So pay attention. Uh, Wink, wink, hint, hint, next week when he fights uh, the kid everybody's been talking about. So we'll get to that later. Now, next up in the Bantamweight division, we got a matchup between Tony Gravely, he's 22-7, and seven, taking on Johnny Munoz Jr., who is 11-1. Currently, they got it, Tony Gravely, minus 130. The comeback on Johnny Munoz is plus 110. I think we know the dynamic here. I think Tony Gravely's the minute winner. I think Tony Gravely's the more well-rounded guy. The big issue, my friend, is that Johnny Munoz got that black belt in jiu-jitsu. He's an opportunistic finisher. Tony Gravely been submitted a handful of times. One mistake by Tony Gravely, the fight could be over shortly after. It's just, is he going to make that mistake? I feel like people are sleeping on my boy Johnny Munoz coming into this fight, man. I get it, Gravely, former collegiate wrestler. He put together a solid resume so far. Um, I think the thing that people are really liking is that he averages 6.76 takedowns per 15 minutes, so he's a pretty active grappler. But the thing that you see in the fight tape is that six out of seven career losses have been inside a distance. When he does these transitions on the ground, he's acceptable to rear naked chokes. I feel like that plays in the Munoz's favor here. Like you said, BJJ Black Belt, seven out of 11 wins. 
by submission. Former King of the Cage Bantamweight champion. Bounced back off of his first loss. I feel like the biggest concern would be the striking volume numbers. He doesn't really throw a lot of volume on the feet. But I expect this fight to hit the ground. And when it does hit the ground, is Gravely going to be Gravely? Or is he going to be, you know, Gravy? I don't think it's going to be gravy for gravely this week. I'm going with the dog here, Johnny Munoz. Um, I, I really think he gets this done by Rui Negachoke here. And that uh, submission prop is sitting there for the taking. But back to the double chance. I'm going to grab that plus 120 or by decision because gravely tends to slow down as the fight goes. I feel like Johnny Munoz he knows what's on the line here. This is supposed to be a fight that we're supposed to see in King of the Cage. So I feel like now we see in the UFC level, Johnny Munoz knows what time it is. It's time to go get this money, baby. What's the submission prop on uh, Munoz? Submission prop on Munoz. Money is coming in on it, but I believe it was plus 175 the last time I looked. But let me check it right now to be exact. Method of victory by submission plus 280. Yes, money's slamming in on that submission prop plus 280. So maybe you go for maybe submission and the round grab some more plus money on it but i think i'm just going to go straight on the double chance i think johnny munoz can win this by decision as well as much as he can get it done by a rear naked choke yeah to me basically the way i see this fight going is i think that tony gravely is gonna be winning this fight until he gets his arm raised or until he gets submitted period point blank i don't see johnny munoz winning the striking exchanges i don't see johnny munoz racking up takedowns it's just about tony gravely the dude's a meathead and uh, that's the biggest issue because he's actually a very skilled guy like everywhere the fight goes i'm actually very impressed with him it's like offensively speaking i love what i see from tony gravely it's just defensively defensively speaking i mean how many times has this guy been submitted and i cashed in on brett johns in that ufc debut plus 115 odds i even bet on simon Oliveira at like plus two something i think the last fight and that guillotine attempt was pretty close johnny munoz gets that same gets a gets something similar the fight could be over shortly after so it's a tough one um just sometimes i just don't like the inactivity from johnny munoz in these fights it's just so he it's just again he could be losing the entire fight and one fuck up one bonehead mistake one poorly shot takedown by tony gravely and that's all it could take so i feel you on that as a pure pick, I'm going to go with Gravely here because I just think he's the better fighter. It's just that I know there's this chance that he's going to be winning the entire fight and fuck it up like he's done many, many times. So I don't blame you at all for taking Munoz here. The path to victory is there. Like, I cannot debate that. Um, it's just basically back to what I was saying. Tony's going to win this fight until he either gets his arm raised or until he gets submitted. You're saying he's going to get submitted. I'm not saying he's not going to get submitted, but I'll just go on the opposite way and say that he uh, grinds out a decision here. But when I say grind out, he's got to be careful with these takedowns. He, this one, maybe we see more stand-up from Gravely. Um, this could ahead. be, I feel like uh, this could be one of those ones where it's not going to hit my betting package, but when I'm sitting on the live stream at Pub on Saturday and I see that Johnny Munoz round one submission line looking at me at plus 750, round two, 950, those aren't bad shots to take. Why bet hundreds of dollars on a bunch of big favorites and stuff like that when you could throw $20 shots at plus 750 and plus 950s? And I feel like that's a lot of his win condition in this fight. This could be one of those prop fights. Uh, I like this missionary decision, but I will definitely be throwing down my uh, 10, 20 bucks on those 750, 950 submission props. That's a little bit too much. Round one submission, 750. Round two, 950. Round three, if you think Gravely's going to gas, 15 to one odds. 
Well, I wish you luck, my friend. Now, next up in the flyweight division, we got a matchup between Jeff El Jefe Molina. He's ten and two, taking on Zalgas Zumogulov, who's fourteen and six. And shout out to my boy Zalgas Zumogulov. Got a different wife for every day of the week. Currently, they got it. Jeff Molina minus one eighty-five. The comeback on Zalgas Zumogulov is plus one sixty. So, another very intriguing fight for a variety of reasons. Uh, both these guys are really damn small for the flyweight division. Zaga Zumagulov listed at 5'4. Between you and me is 5'3. Jeff Molina listed at 5'6. Uh, Between you and me is 5'4. These guys are tiny for the weight class, but luckily they're both tiny, so they don't got to worry about one guy being more physical than the other. Here's the thing uh, Jeff Molina, I love the volume, man. I mean, eight strikes landed per minute, and we got a pretty decent sample size. Um, off of him and when i talk about the size he's gone out there and beat bigger guys like uh um the mongolian murder Arichi lang that dude was way that dude was way fucking bigger than molina but here he doesn't have to worry about that i mean just to put it in perspective man like uh uh, <laughs> uh i uh let's just say that we've been bringing home girls bigger than both these guys lately so <laughs> let's just let's just leave it at that bro but uh listen with zaga zumagula my my thing with him is that he can be bullied in a lot of these fights man because of that size but he's also decent at weaseling out these decisions and uh he's fought a pretty decent level of competition so that part i like but the thing I don't like is the volume difference is huge, bro. The volume difference is to a point where it's like this goes to decision. And unless Zagas has been able to land, you know, a few takedowns, which he doesn't really go for. He's a striker himself or land that shot that drops Jeff Molina. Most likely Molina outpoints him. My issue with this fight is I ain't laying no minus 185 on Jeff Molina. In this spot, period, because I think that Zagas has a way of making these fights super close. I think he has a way of weaseling these decisions. I, even a bunch of fights that I thought he lost, he ended up winning. You know, back on his scene. So, like the the Tagir fight, uh, for example, I thought he banger. lost the Tagir fight. You said you agree? No, no, that was a banger. Oh yeah, it was a banger. But I, I thought he lost that fight. Um, and there were there were a couple other ones where it was like, uh, I'm not sure, but he's the underdog. So when you're not sure, hey, maybe maybe he can weasel it out. But what I like about Molina, he's kind of got that mini James Krause thing going on. A little bit of touch-touch, then a big knee up the middle. The calf kicks are there. I like the well-rounded skill set. Even though he gets taken down, he's good at getting back up. So I think the potential's there with Molina. I would just kind of slow down on this minus 190. Um and if it happens to be a close fight, there is value on the dog. But I, I, I'm going to lean with Molina here, but I ain't, I ain't laying that price tag, my man. I'm going to have to go the other route, man. I feel like uh, Molina's got that good story. You know, started off one and two. Now he's on a nine-fight winning streak. And there's a lot of public money coming on him. It opened up at minus 150 and now sitting at minus 200. But just being primarily a striker at I get it. He throws up a lot of volume, but I also feel like people are sleeping on Zumigov here in this spot. Even though he's one and three, he's fought some tough ass opponents in the UFC so far. And this would be by far the most experienced fighter that Molina has fought in his career. And the concern would be the volume numbers that we know that Molina can put up. But if Zagas can string together some takedowns, I know he isn't the most active takedown artist, but if he can get a takedown in each round, hey, some people are going to be pissed at that Molina price tag uh, after those scorecards come out. I feel like if he can get into the clinch, 
land that overhand right that he does. You know, you know the wrestling uh, strike, boom, the overhand right that he does. I feel like optically that could make out for some of the volume numbers. And if he can make this a dirty fight, people are going to be pissed that they bet on Molina. I got Zalgas, Zumi Gulov, the win by split decision here. And I like Zalgas by decision plus 333 in the betting markets. I feel like that's a uh, good price tag. I don't think this is going to be a uh, fight that he'll be able to finish. But I think uh, this could be one where uh, we see Big Sal sitting behind the scorecards. He was probably on his phone for a couple of rounds. Boom, he saw the third. That's all we need him to see. <laughs> I mean, that's what I'm saying, bro. If it's one of these close-ass split decision fights, which Zagas is known for, then he's the value side, period. Like, you're not going to catch me laying no minus 190 on Molina. He's got to prove a little bit more to me. Um, but if Molina can come out here with that kind of pretty mini James Krause style, then I think that he can get the better of it. It's just that Zagas has that way of fighting close. And hopefully you go out there and get it because i ain't laying no minus 190 on molina here so i wish you the yeah, best i'm chasing the dog shot man uh i don't want to get a preview too much of the betting package this weekend but i think zagas is gonna be underdog of the night now next up in the wel welterweight both these guys are dropping we got andreas michaelitis he's 13 and 5 representing greece taking on rinat uh <laughs> factor dinov is that is that how you say it Fakhar yeah, Dinov. we're just gonna call him Renat, man. Let's go, with Renat. I'd like I like to get my names right. Fakhradinov. Tell me if that's right, though. Anybody in the chat? Is that how you spell it? Or Fakhradinov? Is it Fak Fak? <laughs> Anyways, um, I think it's Fakhradinov. Uh, from watching the uh, Dana White looking for a fight fight. You know, the, back when the flyweight division first opened, Joseph Benavidez fought a dude with the dude's last name had shit in it. It was Yurish Shit Tani. Now we got a dude named Fuck in the UFC. So, you know, times have changed. But anyways, Russia versus Greece. Basically, Andreas Mikolaitis dropping to 170. The biggest issue with Andreas Mikolaitis is he comes out super hard in that first round, tends to gas out as the fights progress. Allegedly a black belt in jiu-jitsu. I'm not sure under who. With Renat, my boy was out here throwing some bungalows against Eric Spicely. He had zero respect for Eric Spicely whatsoever. I believe Dana White was in the front row, and he was just trying to say, like, dude, I'm going to knock this guy out to the point where I can't be denied for a contract, but I think he's going to reel it in here a little bit. Look, I'm not saying he can't come out here and knock out Michaelitis in the first round, but Michaelitis is usually good for about five minutes. It's just after those five minutes he tends to fall off. But that being said, dropping to 170 pounds, that means he's going to have to put in more road work. That means he's going to have to run extra miles. Maybe the conditioning is there. Is it a conditioning thing or is it a pacing thing? Back to that conversation. But all that being said, I think that, you know, even though Renat's record might be a little bit padded, he's not your typical Russian fighter, I still think that this is a setup fight and he's got enough to come out here and beat this guy, whether it's a first-round knockout, whether the first round is close and he takes over in the second and third. I'm going to go with Renat to come out here and uh, take care of Mikolaitis. Uh, Mikolaitis is one of my favorite people. The fave we got to drop last time, probably my last max bet was Alex Pereira against Mikolaitis. We nice. got to drop from the lawyer, from the lawyer of uh, Pereira. They said he's coming over to the UFC. They're giving him a build-up fight. Make sure you max bet it. So uh, we made a lot of money on that fight. I feel like the thing about Mikolaitis here is just the durability concerns. Like you said, all five career losses are inside the distance. I get it. This is going to be the most experienced opponent. Renat has fought, but the thing is, Renat, he does not fight Muslim fighters. I thought that was really weird. That's why his uh, record looks a little bit padded coming over from the Russian regional scene. But he showed 
against Spicely. How good is Spicely, though? I don't know. Boy got knocked out another two more times right after that. But I think the caveat here is that Renat has came over to the States, spent some time down there, an American top team. And I don't care what gym he's at. It's just more the fact that he's getting this American looks. He's trying to refine his game. He didn't rush in there, chase the money fight. He knows that uh, he's going to have to slow grind this career a little bit because these guys in the UFC are legit. And he's definitely – this is going to be the toughest opponent that he faced. But if it, the historical trend continues with Mikolaitis being finished, you got it. Take that Renat inside a distance prop at minus 110. Well, I bet the minus 275 or minus 300 in the parlay. I think you attack this in the prop market. If Renat gets this done, I think more times than not, the historical trend continues sitting at minus 110 too. That's the t- type of price tag I like to pay. Now, last but not least, kicking off the card, we got Aaron Blanchfield. She's 8-1, and one, taking on J.J. Aldrich, who's 11-4. and four. And currently, they got it. <laughs> Aaron Blanchfield, hey, a little bit of money's coming on JJ because I was looking at minus 600 uh, Blanchfield earlier. Now I see minus 490. The comeback on JJ is plus 390. Hey, everybody, all 100 people in here, do us a huge favor. Smash the like button. Hit the subscribe button. Truly, truly appreciate it. After this is done, comment, share, retweet. We, it means the world to me that you guys would do that. So thank you so much for being here with me and Billy breaking down. UFC Vegas 56. So look, Aaron Blanchfield versus JJ Aldrich. This is a pick 'em fight. You know, you know, I'm smashing those uh, Aaron Blanchfield odds. It's just that minus 600. Like, come on, man. Like, listen, I bet on Aaron Blanchfield at like plus 125 against Miranda Maverick, and that was like one of the best bets of the year, man. That was that was beautiful. That I, I love betting her at plus 125. The minus 600. Look, I'm I'm not saying she's gonna lose the fight. All, all I'm saying is that like. And JJ Aldrich is a 10 fight UFC vet, decent parrying, decent hand fighting. I mean, she's point, you know, some point striking, mixing the occasional takedown or two. Look, she's been there, she's fought some tough competition. Not like she's some pushover, or whatever. The reason I got to talk in these terms is because we're dealing with a minus 600, right? So you got to bring up every possible scenario. Maybe it's vet lesson time, but I highly doubt it. I think that Aaron Blanchfield comes out here as long as her ego hasn't exploded. I mean, she's just a kid. She's only like 21, 22, maybe 23 at most. But listen, she's a black belt in jujitsu. I love how she strings her striking to her takedowns. And then on the mat, she's a problem to deal with. Um, I think that she's a future top five, top 10 uh, fighter in the flyweight division. So I love me some Aaron Blanchfield. And then she's the real deal. Just don't love this price tag. So honestly, it is a dog or pass situation at a price like this, but pure pick. You know, I got to go with my girl, Aaron Blanchfield. So I think she gets it done. But again, someone takes the shot on JJ, but plus 500, like, you know, I can't blame you for that, dude. Like a price like that on a 10 fight UFC vet against someone who's relatively unproven. Like I get it. It's just, I think that, uh, JJ's, I think, excuse me, I think that Aaron Blanchfield's got the skills to pay the bills. So I'm gonna go with Aaron. Yeah, man, we've been waiting for Aaron Blanchfield uh, in New Jersey for a very long time. New Jersey native, currently the youngest ranked UFC fighter on the roster. So uh, I think the betting lines are starting to come and notice that she's legit. And man, I think the most impressive thing about her is her motor with the wrestling skill set. Sometimes with the wrestlers, they kind of tend to gas out, but she goes for it. Um, You know, I like to bet on women that are a little bit active inside the octagon. And she has various ways to take down and control her opponent. Her striking is coming along uh, in the later years of her career even though she's still really young. But I feel like sky's the limit for her. I feel like J.J. Aldrich, on the other hand, 
Nine out of ten of her fights in the UFC have gone to decision, so decision prop is juiced out the gazillion for Blanchfield at minus 175. But I'm also not interested in betting the finishing props either. I think that's the reason why people are parlaying the money line because they really don't know how they're going to get it done. Aldrich has only been uh, submitted one time in her career, and that was her first fight of her career. And she has a good gas tank coming out of the elevation fight team in Colorado. But I think um, Blanchfield beats the toughest opponent so far in her career picks up this W, keep the good times rolling. I think it's going to be by unanimous decision. Usually you don't want to parlay people that are going to go to the decision or people at minus 600 odds at regardless. But if you're looking to attack this fight, I think the way to attack this fight is going to be in the DraftKings market. You're going to have Blanchfield, Evolov, Jackson, all at the top of the price range list this week. And if Blanchfield goes the lowest owned out of all three of them, you might be dancing yourself to some money this weekend if you play Aaron Blanchfield in your lineup. Well, Billy, we did it. It's going down this Saturday night live. Actually, Saturday afternoon. Y'all mark your calendars. Live at the Apex in Las Vegas, Nevada. Alexander Volkov taking on Jairzinho Rosenstruck. Uh, you can follow me at Best Fight Picks. Billy, uh, tell the fans where they can follow you, your content coming up. Let them know what's up. And thank you for uh, joining me on Half the Battle today. Yeah, no doubt. You can see all my content. As you can see, the flag behind me, Pub Sports Radio, Southtown 101. Shouts to the boss man, Jeff Slaughter. You can follow me personally on Instagram, Billy Briz DFS. We're always going live on Instagram day by day. Hey, if you want to see some entertainment along with the picks, you make sure you give me a follow at Getting Bills on Twitter. Oh, man, we bet all the sports, but MMA is the wheelhouse. That's the money maker in the sport world so just another day at the grind dan thank you for the invite um hopefully we uh do this again yeah i look forward to that thank you again for coming on to all the fans thank you guys so much for your support you know you guys are the reason that i still do this you know truly passionate about it thank you all so much for all your support please help the channel out by hitting the like button the subscribe button share comment on the video all those little things you guys do go a long way and they mean a lot to me so thank you guys like Again, you can subscribe to Half the Battle on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, Stitcher, Spotify, all the places where we are available. I'll be back next week for the very next card. Also, shout out to everybody that sent me those you know, words of encouragement before my tournament. We ended up doing really good to the point where uh, I got my purple belt a couple days later. So thank you guys so much for all that encouragement. It, it truly, truly, truly meant a lot to me. Y'all can follow me on Twitter at Best Fight Picks. The podcast can be followed at Half the Battle HQ. And then on Instagram, the podcast can be followed at Half the Battle Pod. So, guys, thank you again for everything. And until the next time, let's cash these bets. Let's fucking go.